Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. So our lesson today comes from chapters 7 and 8 of the Women of the Word book. We're using Jen's materials um, as we teach through this class. And we have labeled this class um, as part of methods that we're putting it all together. Um, and so next week will be our last class, as I already said. Eight, or next week. Did I say last week? Next week is our last class. So um, last week we said that a good literacy builder honors the learning process by moving through three distinct stages of understanding. And we looked at 2 Timothy 2.15, which just encourages us to do our best to rightly handle God's word. And the first stage of understanding that we talked about was comprehension. And that comprehension stage causes me to slow down when I'm reading a text to see if I've really processed what I have read. The more you read a text slowly, the more detail you're going to notice, even if it's a text that you are overly familiar with. So that first stage of comprehension, we said last week, it is the first building block. Everything builds upon that. And we said, comprehension answers what question? Do you remember? What does it say? What does it say? And in your study guide, we just outlined six different tools um, that will help us with that comprehension, what does it stay, say um, process. So the next element um, in our study process it asks you to go beyond just comprehension, not just what does it say, but now we're gonna be looking at what does it mean. And that second um, element is interpretation. So comprehension and then interpretation. So if you were to read Genesis chapter one, seeking to comprehend what it says, you would determine what specifically happened on each day of creation. You would give attention to the order in which God created everything. However, the person who interprets the creation story, she would be able to tell you why it is that God created in a particular order or in a particular way. So she would be able to deduce things be. Um, from beyond just what the text says to now thinking about what does this mean. So she might notice that on the first three days of creation, God forms. He takes what is formless and he forms it. And then the next three days correspond to those first three and God fills what he formed. Okay, so interpretation goes beyond just what does it say to thinking about what does it mean. Well, most of us, we rely on sermons and Bible study notes and commentaries to help us with this interpretation component of study. And this is absolutely appropriate for us to do that. As you seek to understand a text when you study God's word, as you're trying to understand it and where it fits into the big story of God's creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, one of the first things that we asked you to consider 
um, was the, were those five archaeological questions. So before you even really got into a text, we asked you to consider those five questions. And we said you really have to go outside of a biblical text to be able to get that information. You're not going to know that just by reading God's word. And so there are people that have a unique understanding, a unique knowledge and scholarship that really do help us to understand God's word. And they provide an indispensable service to the body of believers, to the church. But every single one of us, we are called to love God with all of our minds individually. And so we need to really earnestly attempt to understand a text on our own before we short circuit that learning process by relying on the help of other people. So as you think about the interpretation of a text, the first thing that you really need to commit to do is lay aside any kind of commentaries or Bible study notes, podcasts, blogs, sermons, books, or any kind of paraphrases of scripture. We will get to those. That is an important part of your study, but you want to take your best shot and apply effort toward this end on your own first. So as I think about this, that interpretation stage, <clears throat> it really feels very, very weighty. It really does. And it feels weighty because it is weighty. It is easier to just defer to other people to tell me what it, what it means. But part of the learning process means that you will make mistakes. You may not understand everything that's there, but we want to start our study trying our best, applying effort as we do that, and depend on the Holy Spirit who really helps us. And so one of the ways that we rely on the Holy Spirit as we study God's word is to pray as we study. So prayer is a component that we talked about. Prayer is part of, before you come to a text, you wanna pray, but you also want to pray as you study. And so this might just look like praising God when you make a connection about his character that maybe you hadn't understood before. So I think about this praying as you study, almost like little, um, you've heard it said, like little flare prayers, like they're those tiny little prayers. It doesn't have to be super involved, you know. Um, but praising him when you find yourself beginning to ask the right questions of a text on your own, or even stopping to praise God when you find yourself enjoying your time in his word knowing that God is always the origin and the starting place of real joy. When you think about 1 Peter 1 um, in verse 3, Peter himself starts off praising God. So if you don't have the words to say, it might be appropriate to stop and praise God that he really is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that caused Jesus to be born again. Just stopping and reflecting on that and praising him for it. And then as you study, confess, admit. Confess when you get frustrated. Very often when my children were little, it didn't matter how early I got up. There was always someone that interrupted my plans. Um, I would try to get up before they did and somebody was always right there next to me. So it is appropriate to confess when you feel frustration regarding those interruptions 
or frustration about the lack of time that you can commit to study, confess to God when a text feels boring to you or there's something else that feels more urgent. Confess when you're reading God's word and you come up against something that you just don't like in scripture. You know, there are some things that we come across in scripture that um, really do are harder to obey or we just kind of chafe against what that passage is asking or showing you. So confess those kinds of things to God as you come up against it in your study. And then when you hit something hard, make requests of God. Ask the Lord to help you to understand it. If your mind wanders, ask God for the ability to help you to stay focused. If you get frustrated, ask him to teach you patience and humility. If you find yourself rushing, I was talking to someone even this week, and she said the hardest thing for me in even trying to do this is I, I think I'm rushing a process. I feel this internal pressure. So ask God to help you just slow down. Um, if you're bombarded with interruptions, ask God to give you a peaceful time in his word or ask God for the wisdom just to know, is there something else that you should focus on instead? Is this time to just lay your study aside and give your attention to something else instead? And then ask him to help you Trust him if you aren't growing or understanding at the rate in which you desire. A component of prayer is also um, being thankful. Thank the Lord when he brings to mind other passages of scripture that clarify or confirm something that you're studying. Thank him when you read his word and you receive correction or conviction through the text or when you're given an example to follow. Thank God every time you read his word and the gospel is revealed to you. Um, thank him for that and thank him for the gift of his word and his spirit. And then as we're doing that, we're, as we're interpreting, asking the text, what does it mean? And most of us, I think, um, have been trained to almost think when we are reading God's word, what does this text mean to me? And my job as a reader is not to assign meaning to a passage, but rather my job as a reader is to determine and to discover what the author meant. Remember, we're coming to God's word, digging for buried treasure. What did the person who wrote the text want me to learn. We should, um, we should assume there is an objective meaning for each text. There's a variety of applications. We can interpret different things, but we should assume that there are some objective meanings and we need to dig to try to understand what those things are. Think about what we're reading in 1 Peter. In answering our archeological questions, we talked about this last week in our time. We determined the author of the text was Peter. And we determined some things about Peter. Peter was a former disciple. He was the disciple who denied Christ, right? He was a leader in the church. He was an uneducated Jewish fisherman. But Peter was also an eyewitness 
of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. He was right there. He watched that. And here he is, as he's writing 1 Peter, he's writing to believers who are on the very cusp of experiencing widespread persecution under the emperor Nero. And so this is going to be helpful for us, just having this understanding, having that background information. It's going to be helpful um, in understanding and interpreting what Peter says about suffering. Because 1 Peter talks a lot about trials and suffering. So he's going to have a perspective about that. In that podcast that Jen Wilkin has on Women of the Word, she gives two different examples in the interpretation um, lesson that she has about how those archeological questions, having that background information, taking the time to do that, how they lay the right foundation and set us up for the interpretation phase of study. And so one of the examples that she gives is Psalm 119. And Psalm 119 is a very familiar passage of scripture. But she said a lot of times what can happen is that when people interpret that psalm, they really put a lot of emphasis on verse 14. And and you're probably familiar with verse 14. It's the verse that says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, right? Um, And so she says, if we forget the context of the passage, which Psalm 119 is all about a God who is fearful and wonderful. She said, if we forget the context, then it's easy to put the emphasis in the wrong place. We can put the emphasis on me, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and somehow make that psalm about me. But she says the whole psalm, the whole of the psalm, is profoundly disinterested in me. It is a, it's an exaltation of who God is, a God who is fearful and wonderful. And one element of a God who is fearful and wonderful is that he has made man in his image, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by this creative designer, God, our creator. The other example she gives is um, the proverb that says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. She said, this verse has been taken by many Christian parents as a promise that if they are faithful um, in teaching and training their children with the word of God, their children will not depart from it. And so she said, they take it as a promise, but by neglecting the genre, the style that Proverbs are written in, that Proverbs are generally true, but they are not promises. Um, She says what that does is it sets parents up to struggle with the goodness and the sovereignty and the trustworthiness of God's word. Um, So she said, we just need to be very careful that we're not jumping to the interpretation stage too quickly. Okay, there is value in in working through a process because we can jump to conclusions Um, too quickly trying to think about what does this mean. So just like the comprehension part of our um, text, interpretation relies on some tools to help us, okay? The first one is using cross-references. And cross-references are the verses that are listed in the margins or at the bottom of the pages in your Bible. 
and cross-references, what they will do is they will identify commonalities between different parts of the Bible, and they may include verses that carry, um, carry similar themes or words, events, or people. One of the most basic ways that we interpret Scripture is by allowing Scripture to interpret Scripture. So because the Bible is infallible, um, it can never contradict itself. It can never be untrue. So when there is confusion or you struggle to understand what a passage means or says, it's helpful to look at other places in the Bible that say the same things or similar things. And cross-references, they will help us to honor this basic principle. And they're the starting place for how we answer what does it mean. If you encounter a passage that's too hard to understand, then look up any cross-references first to see if they can add to your understanding or clarify your confusion. This is another great time. If something that you are re reading is hard or um, you don't really understand, a lot of times what we want to do is we want to just look something up. And I have, I have this um, John MacArthur Bible study commentary at home, and it's like it, he does it by verses. And so it's easy just to look and go, okay, what does this one verse mean? But you're, you're really skipping learning. So wrestle, give yourself permission to wrestle through it. One of the things that I do in my own time in the Word when that happens is I just stop right there and pray. This is really hard. This doesn't make sense to me. Please help me. And I read it again. I might start from the beginning and read through it again. Um, or just walk away from it. Walk away. Go make yourself a cup of coffee or do something. Change out your laundry and then come back to it and try it again. Sometimes just getting out of the loop of your thinking will help you um, that way. Or maybe that's time to put it aside for the day and come back to it. Another thing that you can do, not just utilizing the cross-references, but, but looking at the context, what do the verses around a particular verse say? Or what do the chapters around this chapter say? Or how does this fit into the big storyline of the Bible? How do I think through this? Consider some of these kinds of things before you just jump to the commentaries. We are trained to be fast food consumers. We want things easy and quick. And sometimes we need to just allow some natural curiosity or frustration um, in that. The second tool that um, Jen Wilkin gives in her book is paraphrasing. And she says, paraphrasing is the skill of writing someone else's thoughts in your own words. And paraphrasing is one of those things that does require us to slow down and employ some patience because paraphrasing can be a little bit hard. As you invest in doing that, it will become more natural and you'll grow in your ability to do that. If you think about all of those standardized tests when you were in school, a lot of those, you read a passage and you have to summarize it in your own words. It's not, it's not very different from that. So as you're encountering a passage of scripture, practically, you're gonna check the context, you're gonna look up any tricky words in the dictionary um, just to help clarify their meaning. You're gonna read through some cross-references, and then you wanna write the passage in your own words. 
and paraphrasing, it's gonna help you focus just on what's being said. Even if your paraphrase is not good, paraphrasing is gonna help you read for detail and meaning. And here is the beauty of paraphrasing. This is just for your own use. No one else has to see it. No one's gonna grade it. You don't have to share it with anyone. And you might find later that your paraphrase is absolutely awful. And if so, that's okay. But you might also find that your paraphrase is not bad, that you really did get the message of the text. And when that happens, that will be so encouraging. It really will be encouraging. Adding this practice of paraphrasing, it's going to help you wrestle through the text and seek to understand what it is that it means. So just doing this hard work of consulting cross-references and paraphrasing a text, it's going to prepare you then to have thought through the text a little bit on your own, and it's going to prepare you to then be able to read commentaries or listen to sermons or someone else's teaching. Um, this is a way just to check yourself whether or not you have really processed and understood what you've read. And this will also help you as you take time with the text before you consult what anybody else thinks. This will also help you as a believer to grow in the practice of discernment, which is really, really vital. It's really vital to be able to know who can I trust? What resources are reliable? Is something that said um, really true? Um, and so you can consult as many commentaries as you want, but First, do the hard work on your own to apply effort to understand. And then you'll be able to recognize authors that you can trust for thoughtful, reliable interpretations. So some of the um, authors or commentators that we recommend in our ladies' ministry that we use, um, Warren Wearsby, I've talked about him before. He has a, a book like this. This one's a commentary on the New Testament, but he has one just like this. For the Old Testament, he is so simple. He's simple to understand. Um, a lot of times when I read things, I think I'm not very smart, but he, I think, okay, I understand what he says. He's not overly complicated. I like, John MacArthur is another one that our church um, and our leaders would recommend. This commentary is a whole lot easier because it's by verses. And so he kind of, if you read a John MacArthur commentary, they're very wordy. I mean, he really expands. He'll give you all of the meanings of things. Some of his other commentaries are a lot more complex. So depending on your time, um, those are, are ones that uh, we also, in our ladies' ministry, um, for our leaders, we recommend um, Boyce, James Montgomery Boyce. He's another one. Fairly simple to understand. Bryce could probably give you some other people. Um, but some of them are a little more scholarly. It's, so it just depends on how, how deep into the pool you wanna dive. Um, but a lot of those commentators, they'll also have different footnotes in it and other resources that you can look into. So the last step in our process is application. And application is pretty straightforward. Application asks the question, how should this text change me? The final step in our learning should translate what you have learned into action. 
So after you carefully establish what the text says and means, you're finally in a position now to think through and ask how it should impact you. And you know, within a text, there may be commands that you should obey, and also within the text, the motivation for doing them. So after careful study, you're gonna be more convinced of not just what is the right thing to do or how should I be living or thinking, but also the how and the why of growing and changing. So over the last five weeks, every week, we've said the Bible is a book about God. It is a book about God. And knowledge of our God and knowledge of self, if you remember, they always go hand in hand. So to really understand how a text should change me, I need to first look at what the passage teaches me about God and how that aspect of God's character changes or should change my view of self. Then and only then am I really able to grasp what I should do in response. So I want you to think about this for just a second in a very practical way. We work through these three steps all of the time in our regular daily life. Comprehension, interpretation, application. And in her book, Jen gives a very um, simple example. And she says, if you wake up to an alarm clock every single day, you go through this process. In a deep sleep, you become aware of a sound. Your brain, it may ignore the sound, or you may incorporate that sound into your dream. But the longer your alarm goes off, the longer it rings, eventually your brain begins to comprehend what is happening. My alarm is going off. Then your brain begins to interpret what that means. It's morning. It's 6 a.m. And then you move into application by applying what you have comprehended and interpreted. It's time for me to get up for work. And then you actually get up out of your bed and start getting ready, <laughs> right? So just like anything in life, we, uh, alarms remind us of all sorts of things, don't they? <laughs> so just like anything in our life, we move through these kinds of steps so quickly that we don't often recognize that they're steps at all. Studying with a process, it allows you to uncover the character of God through careful comprehension and interpretation. It will set you up to apply scripture in light of who God has revealed himself to be. And that process might be difficult at first, but the more you use it, the more comfortable you will be with it. It will seem more clunky and it will seem, um, it will seem less clunky and more fluid. You will adapt it and you will um, fine tune it for what works. And as you build, just remember, you're making deposits for the long term. If you're in a season where it does not allow you to use all the tools or processes exhaustively, just use them as your time allows. We've kind of hit on that every single week. And the thing I want to remind you of is that, you know, our God, this is who our God is. Our God is a God of detail and a God of order. In the book of Genesis, we see God begin by taking what is chaos and disorder, and God brings detail and order to it. In both its form and its function, 
God takes the empty and the void and the nothing, and he produces a perfectly ordered place for man to meet and dwell with God. And the whole Bible really tells the story of God's dwelling and his work to dwell among his people. And we know ultimately the end of the story is that God will one day restore all that is broken and his dwelling place will be once again with man. But if you think through the Bible, all along the way, God involved humans in the work and the process of dwelling with him. So if you think about in Genesis, Adam was to work and tend to the garden. He was to keep it. And that's the place that God went and walked among them. In the book of Exodus, God gave Moses the instructions for building the um, tabernacle. And God involved people in that building. We see that in the rebuilding of Solomon's temple, in the rebuilding that Ezra and Nehemiah did, and in other places where God invites people to establish a place to worship and fellowship with him. When you look to the New Testament, Jesus came and he lived among them. He taught, he trained, he instructed, he lived with them. And then we see that God gave his Holy Spirit and he calls believers who have trusted in Jesus Christ to be the dwelling place for his spirit. We get to be participants in the process of creating and maintaining an orderly, beautiful place within our hearts for the Lord to dwell. And one of the ways that we are transformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ is through the study of God's word. So before you close your time of study, don't forget that you want to bookend it in prayer. Prayerfulness, it should be one of those things that should just ebb and flow through our study of God's word. Learning the Bible, it doesn't happen just as a result of your human effort alone. Just like all of those other aspects of sanctification, the Holy Spirit works and we work. There will be days that all you can offer is just a short prayer. But as time allows, really do allow yourself to spend time with God, savoring the fellowship and the sweetness that comes through prayer. So praise. Meditate on an aspect of God's character that your study revealed. How can you praise God for whatever you have seen in this text? If it's appropriate, pray the passage out loud or pray parts of the passage out loud that celebrate that aspect of God's character. If prayer is an area that you really want to grow in, this is an easy way to practice prayer. You don't even have to have your own words. Just pray the scripture as you see it. Then you want to admit or confess any personal sin that your study time brought to light. Confess the temptation to apply the passage to someone else's sin problem instead of your own. Confess if you were distracted. Confess if you finished um, or rushed to finish. And then make requests. Ask the Lord to really help you apply what you've learned. Did learning something about God reveal um, something that's lacking in your life or an area where you need to grow? 
ask the Lord to really help you to act on that. Ask him to help you um, bring to mind what you've studied as you move through your day and move through your week. If your study feels fruitless, ask him to help you that there is fruit that you don't yet see. Ask God to give you the desire to persevere in the learning process. And then thank the Lord for what he's teaching you. Thank him for the gift of personal insight, for a truth that he's made understandable. Thank him for the Holy Spirit who really helps you to understand his word. And then thank him for the time that you allowed him to spend in the word. The word of God, it is living and active, and it is also transformative. And that is our goal. We want to know God through the study of his word. Um, next week, our lesson is going to be on people. Um, so it's entitled Made for Community, and we're going to talk through studying with people. And Denise is going to be teaching through um, that lesson. So in your study guides this week, let me just ask first, any questions on any of that? Anything I need to clarify? Okay. So... Part B on your homework on page 26. Which of the tools that we talked about last week, having a printed copy of the text, repetitive reading, annotation, dictionary, translations, outlining, which did you think would be more helpful to you? Which have you used um, before? Which ones were new to you? How did you answer that question? Did anybody answer that question or maybe think through that right now so we can have some discussion about that? Were any of those, let's start there, here. Were any of those new to you? Annotation. annotation was when you went through the text and you looked at words that were repeated. You might mark them. Um, <clears throat> words that are repeated, phrases, um, I think those are the two things that I highlighted with that. I personally like annotation a lot because then we can study the so it keeps me involved in what I'm doing and like what you're doing during the meeting. Yeah. Helps me like my to do list and stuff like that. Good. Um, I said the repetitive reading would be one that would be more new to me because I typically will be in like a study or like have like a purpose for it but I thought that was very or something that I'd like to do more um because then it's not so much kind of going straight to that interpretation part but just like reading to read it and kind of see what yeah. it says I agree I think that that was a new concept for me like not moving on until I can comprehend it and really understand like what is being said I think I'm always one that's like Okay, let's talk. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, you know, and so to just like slow down and just understand what God is saying. Absolutely. It almost feels like, I don't know if you're like this, but at least for me, I mean, I grew up in a Christian home and have, was taught early on, but it almost seems like when I come to God's word, like 
I need to have something that I can check off. And so just that practice of just reading to read, I, I remember feeling like that was totally like, can I really do that? I know, so you were talking about, like, it's just like cheating. Like, it, right. Just read it to like, just read it. Just read it to read like, it. Answering a question after a read or something like that. So. In your defense, we just did our <laughs> training for our new reading curriculum at my school. And one of the big things that we're starting is like, it's very, it's structured for us, but like for the kids, it's like training them to unlearn that like when you're reading something, you have an end goal of like, I'm answering this question. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and the speaker who was talking about it, I was watching the training videos, and I was like, oh my gosh, because I thought about this study, and I was like, it's crazy how much like even having to unlearn how that you probably learned yeah. in school, where you're like, I'm reading this, mm -hmm. so I can answer these questions, or I can complete this assignment, or I can do whatever. I feel like it takes a lot of time to unlearn that habit, mm -hmm. just like, that you naturally have been taught, that's how you were taught to read, you know? Right. So then when I, I thought that, um, I often read, because like when I, read, I thought I had like a goal, when I come to the text, I really struggle. Mm -hmm. But I think like, okay, I can still look through it. Okay, like, here's some tools I can use where I'm like mm -hmm. engaging with this passage, but I don't have to have almost that like, and I finished that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, Maybe not. <laughs> the next assignment. Yeah. But it did make me, like when I was reading, I was like, oh my goodness, one of the reasons that this is so hard. It's so hard. Because that's, yeah. you know, how you learn to read. And I think our culture Right. It's very like fast paced, like let's go, 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 and to just slow down and mm -hmm. pray and mm -hmm. ask God to give me some understanding and clarity on things. Yeah. I've really enjoyed, like I, I said this before, but I am studying a lot in Genesis. I'm just reading Genesis because we're going to be studying Genesis. And I'm, and even when we talked about it in ladies' ministry, like that we were going to study Genesis, I was kind of like, we've, like I've just, I've just studied Genesis a lot. Like I'm not super excited about Genesis, and I was like, you need to get excited about Genesis, you know. Um, but so I've just been reading, and I mean, I spent April and May just reading, just start to finish, just reading through Genesis, and then. In June, I just started reading chapters one, two, and three because I knew I was going to be teaching on it. And it is amazing in chapters one, two, and three as I've like started working through this process and trying to apply what I'm, you know, talking about again and really like slowing down. I have seen things and really appreciated like I never really saw that before, and it it has really instilled and reopened up an excitement. Um, in God's word. And I think the thing is, you know, um, it does feel like it's not super productive to just, you know, read. But really, when you give yourself freedom to do that, and, and that was even part of, as Denise and I taught through this, she's got a little story for next week. But um, as Denise and I talked through this, you know, even saying, here, we're going to present something in six weeks, and we're going to try to you know, help you, because I think it, even if it's not new for you, it may be just a little bit different in areas, and then to go like, okay, we need to, now we're on interpretation, so we need to, you know, keep moving through that. Um, you don't have to be on interpretation or application just because that's where we are. I mean, even as I worked through First Peter, I'm still annotating and writing and looking up words, and that's been weeks, you know, that I, I did kind of put my Genesis to the side and get into First Peter and try to think through some of these, these things. But um, 
but you don't have to, there's, I think the freedom is there doesn't have to be a timeline. Like when you're, when there's not an organized study or you're not going to be a part of something and you can just do that on your own, um, there just doesn't have to be a timeline. And, or, you know, like it could take you, you could, you could work through First Peter and then put First Peter to the side and next summer come back to First Peter and you may still be in chapter one, you know, and, and that is, that is okay. But you may be somebody who is wired differently and you, you know, it's, there is, there's a lot of freedom. <laughs> well, I was so excited about this that I wanted to call Barbara Joe up and say, hey, I know it's almost dinner time. Can <laughs> we do this Bible study right now? I want to do it right now with you. Well, I resisted that impulse because it was almost dinner time. But it, was, it opened my eyes to things I had not seen. I saw for the first time the Lord gave me some understanding on why these mm-hmm. two passages are merged. And one of the questions that came to my mind is, why were these two women so excited about this? And why was Mary so anxious to be with Elizabeth, who I believe was her cousin, Mm -hmm. that she went right there to be with her and so on. And I just, I was so excited about that. I wanted to call up everybody I know and say, listen, I want you to go right now and read the first chapter of Luke because it was so exciting. And for the first time, I saw this happening, that it was coming together. It's and I thought, well, if I spend more time just reading the Bible, what we've been talking about here, this would happen more often yeah. or more in depth. And I'm so grateful that it did. What a great example. I mean, don't we all want to be Carol Wells still oh, no. learning? I mean, but still learning from God's word and saying, like, there's still more for me to learn. Like, what an encouragement that you never really arrive. Like we're playing the long game and, and every time you come to God's word, there are things to learn and understand. I mean, how deep and how wide and how rich is the word of God. And so if we approach our study that week or uh, that way, I mean, it really does. The God's word is exciting. It is exciting. Um, and I think one of the things that we said last week is that one of the pitfalls um, in that comprehension phase is that we don't take time to discuss that 
with other people as we're, as we're noticing or as we're learning or as we're talking about that. And that is, that's part of it. Just that example is such a perfect transition for my notes here. That natural curiosity, why is that here? And the desire to talk about that with somebody else, you know, um, or things that just don't make sense. And how does that, um, as you read through First Peter, what are some things that stood out to you? What are some things that maybe um, natural curiosity that you have or things that you noticed maybe for the first time or words that you looked up? I don't want to um, box this in too much, but as you are in the comprehension phase and you're kind of working through those steps, what are some of those things that you might have observed or asked questions of? Things that you marked or? Okay, so next week, you look at the text and you come ready for that question. I'm going to tell Denise, that's where we left off. What, what did you learn from the comprehension part that we can talk about um, since she says we should be talking about that with others? So thanks for your time this morning. Thanks for a good discussion.